0: When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkouts not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m. Wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Much better. 2 p.m. Grab seats for the game. 6 p.m. Book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at AmericanExpress.com/slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply.
1: Welcome into another edition of the Hang Time podcast. Seku Smith here in Atlanta. My main man John Schumann is in New Jersey. John Harps are behind the glass making it all work. Later in the show we'll be joined by our good friend Joe Freeman of the Oregonian. We haven't talked the Portland Trail Blazers in the West playoff race shoe. We haven't talked Blazers all season. Which seems par for the course. I mean, they they kind of seem to be on the periphery for people all the time, no matter the the way they're playing or, or how they're trending. They're kind of out of sight, out of mind, and man, we got to fix that today. Speak for yourself. Somebody has to write about
2: every single team every <laughs> single week. So.
1: I'm not just talking about you, Mister Myopic. I'm talking about just the general conversation around the league. But first, as always, Wednesday night's an interesting one around the NBA. Uh, the Warriors and Rockets had their big showdown game. Rockets come up short, lose one hundred four to one hundred six on their home floor. Uh, they made a furious comeback, but Demarcus Cousins and and Klay Thompson were spectacular. Boogie played a great game, twenty seven points, eight rebounds, seven assists, um, without Kevin Durant in the lineup. Shoe, I, I said before the game that it didn't mean anything to me. It wasn't a wasn't an indicator of anything to come between those two teams down the road. I haven't changed my stance on that. I'm still feeling a certain way about the Warriors and their chances to get back to the conference finals, represent the West. Anything happened in that game to change your opinion, perk your interest in something particular?
2: I think Cousins having his best game as a Warrior is worth noting. You know, like you said, 27 eight and seven, a shot shot 11 for 16. And maybe most importantly, he was a plus seven in a game they won by two. You know, we've talked about it, that the numbers with him on the floor haven't been great. I dug into that a little bit deeper in a story that's going up on NBA.com today. Mm -hmm. They've basically been really good. Like if you take their other four starters without Cousins, the numbers are fantastic. The numbers with their five sort of stars on the floor altogether, kind of mediocre. And there's issues on both ends of the floor. Defensively, you know, they've had a tough time defending the three-point line with that sort of five, their, that starting lineup with Cousins on the floor. Offensively, the numbers haven't been great. And so for him to have a, a little bit of a breakout game on the road against a very good opponent, uh, I think is worth noting and and, you know, worth keeping an eye on. I still think that their most reliable lineup Come playoff time is going to be the one with Iguodala in there instead of Cousins. But I mean, depending on the matchup, of course. Yeah. And la- yeah. But last night's a, an a example of how he can make a difference on any given night, you know, and the good thing for them is they have those two different options. They have him out there and his ability to just plow through people and, and add a new element offensively. And they have the, the sort of Iguodala small ball option that they can use. That's, that's, you know, versatility is so important come playoff time and obviously talent is the most important thing and they have that in spades. So I I think it's a good problem to have to, to sort of have two different options. And, and even if the cousins one hasn't worked so great overall, it's good to see him make an impact in, in a, in a, in one particular game like that, knowing that, that, that could be uh, the difference in a playoff series.
1: Yeah. From the very top of the West standings to the bottom of the East playoff chase. What the hell happened to the Pistons? (laughs) We're just hyping them up, talking them up. Big week for them. You know, they they got a couple of showdown games. They've they've mustered like 149 points in two games. They've gotten smoked.
2: Eight of their first nine games out of the All-Star break, they won. They had the number one offense since February 1st. The league's number one offense since February 1st through, you know, that, uh, say, their win in Chicago on Sunday or win against Chicago on Sunday. And then, yeah, like two big games against the Nets. Basically, that game was for sixth place and then playing Miami, the team right behind them in the standings now, they just got smoked and came up completely empty offensively. I mean, they got scoop slammed twice. And this league, in this season... It is difficult to score as few as seventy-five points, and they did it twice. I mean, they scored seventy-five again in Brooklyn on Monday, and then seventy-four in the Miami. 74, on Wednesday. Yeah. that's just it's amazing. like uh, it's. It's. I know they. they and they lost Reggie Jackson
1: late in the game. Against, yeah. Uh, so
2: that that bottom of the East is is flaky. You know, like as improved as the Nets are, you know, they've had some struggles of late. You know, they lost to some teams behind them in the standings uh, a couple of weeks ago. The Pistons, you know, made a run and look like, oh, we're going to have maybe we're going to have seven teams above 500 in the East. But now they're struggling again. And then Miami seems to have found something with their sort of new rotation, uh, new lineup, Hassan Whiteside coming off the bench. But they're not exactly reliable against bad teams also. And then Orlando, geez, Orlando's lost to basically every bad team in the league in the, last, in the last few weeks. They've had some really good results and they've had some really bad ones. And so, it, I mean, it basically is what we thought it was a long time ago, you know, uh, where it was five good teams in the East and then it was just, you know, who could survive for the other three spots. At one point, Brooklyn and looked like it was going to become a, a sixth decent team in the East, but as we know, they have a brutal schedule going forward and, and didn't get their trip off to a great start in Oklahoma City. And then Detroit, obviously, uh, flaking out again. So the top five teams in the East got to be feeling pretty good about themselves considering uh, what's going yeah. on. Since. Of
1: those three teams, Hugh, which one looks like it could make the most noise in a first-round series between oh. Miami, Detroit, and Brooklyn? Not, I mean, I'm obviously, I don't think they would win a first-round series, but just who could make the most – hey – Against one of those up, you know, those top seeds in a first round matchup.
2: Maybe Brooklyn. You know, D'Angelo Russell can get hot. You know, they've been better defensively of late. The one thing at this point so far, Kyrie LeVert just hasn't found his rhythm offensively. And maybe if that happens in the next three weeks, then they're a much more dangerous team. He's getting to the spots he wants to get to. He just hasn't been able to finish. Like he's just. He he's got his turkey jerky moves where he gets to the basket or gets into the paint, um, gets within a few feet of the basket. He just hasn't been able to finish those plays off very well so far. And maybe you know three in three weeks time, he's looking more like the player at the beginning of the season than he has been over the last couple of weeks. And if that that could make a different difference, I think Miami has found something with its rotation. Uh, I really do. I think like they had some injuries and sort of moved Kelly Olenek and, and Bam Adebayo into the starting lineup, and that has worked for them. But at the same time, you know they don't have the offense consistently enough to really be a, a serious threat. So I, I guess the answer is Brooklyn. But like I said, if I'm a top three seed in the East uh, right now, I'm feeling fairly good about my chances to uh, get to the conference semifinals.
1: Yeah, I think there's... There's some pretty clear space being created uh, between the teams who are legit and the ones who we could see advancing deep into the playoffs and the ones who are kind of going to be making cursory appearances. I, I want to believe in Brooklyn just because I love the story, the turnaround. But we'll see. I'm, I'm not convinced just yet. Uh, and then I know they started this seven-game road trip in Oklahoma City and, uh, and the Thunder kind of manhandled them a little bit. It
2: started great. They were up like fourteen to one, or something like that. Or yeah. I it was. It was like, oh, what a great start to the trip. And then, uh, and then, basically, uh, the second half was was pretty ugly.
1: Yeah, you know, in the Thunder, every everything they do to me now has become kind of a a puzzle piece to what could be a big time season for them. They're three games out behind Denver for the two seed. Are we giving enough credence to this Thunder team and what they could be? come playoff time?
2: Uh, That's a good question. I think it's encouraging. Westbrook has shot a lot better since the All-Star break. Paul George has shot worse, although he had uh, a decent game shooting last night. If they get both of those guys shooting well, considering the high usage that those guys are at, then their offense is a lot more potent. And we know that they can get things done defensively. I love how how the guys around him have developed. How especially Jeremy Grant has now become such a more productive offensive player than he was last year, and that's a big factor. You know, I was, I was writing about sort of the, in addition to Cousins, basically all the new additions that teams have made uh, late in the season, and so I was just looking at Markeith Morris, and he, you know, hasn't. He missed last night's game with a neck soreness. But they haven't really needed him, his offense, that much because Grant has played really well. And uh, Ferguson has turned into a a confident shooter. You know, he's a guy that doesn't hesitate to shoot now, whereas that was, you know, even early in the season, that wasn't the case. They're dangerous. I can't wait to watch any of these, uh, all of these uh, Western Conference matchups. I'm fascinated to see who matches up with who because I think they'll all be interesting. But Oklahoma City, for sure, has the potential to be really good on both ends of the floor and match up pretty well, I think,
1: with with anybody. Yeah, I, I do appreciate the, the growth of some of the Thunder's role players. I was rough on Billy Donovan, probably, like a lot of people. You know, right when he came into the league, I felt like they were, you know, not being able to figure out what to do with Carmelo, Paul George, and, and Russ last year was something that kind of kept me scratching my head. But clearly, he's he's done a really good job figuring out that roster and how to get him in, in the right spaces. I'm more concerned, I think, with some other teams. You know, when you look at the West Standings and how tight they are with a month to place you, there's a game-and-a-half separation between the Warriors and the Nuggets. And then there's just three-and-a-half games between the Thunder and the Clippers. So you got this whole pool of teams from three to eight that are basically in a horse race for the next few weeks, trying to figure out who fits where, which I normally don't care about matchups. You know, I I normally feel like there are some teams that are clear championship caliber teams when you look at the playoff race. And then there are other teams that are just going to be in the playoffs and would it would take some sort of shocking, you know, performance for them to upset the order of things. But now I don't know. I mean, I don't know who fits where. Three to eight. I'm just not sure. Yeah, there was a day there where the Clippers won five straight and were in sixth
2: place. Yeah. And it was like, oh, we were, you know, it was a couple weeks ago. We didn't know if the Clippers were going to make the playoffs. And they were in sixth place until uh, they lost to the Blazers in a game where they sat Gallinari for rest. So they've been terrific. Portland has been really good. Houston is obviously on a huge run. And and I think Oklahoma City has sort of found its footing after some struggles after the break. So, yeah, I, I think there are... Six teams in the West that could win a playoff, that have the ability to win a playoff series. And I would say maybe the Clippers and the Spurs are these two exceptions.
1: Right. Well, I mentioned that we were going to talk to to Joe Freeman from New Argonian. I haven't talked to him in a while, which is, again, I think it's on us. We, we tend to ignore our Pacific Northwest brethren, both the team and the guys who cover it, even when we're reading them every day. We don't always talk about the Blazers for whatever reason. Uh, they're, they're kind of our one of those forgotten teams to me around the league and they've they've had some really nice stretches this year had some of their typical tough stretches Joe first and foremost how are you man sorry to, that we've been so tardy and catching up with you no I'm I'm doing great man how are you how are y'all doing good we're good glad to be here what's the deal with the Blazers I mean one night I watch them and I'm you know and I'm kind of intrigued at what they could be other nights I watch them and I'm like man why why doesn't this team click all the time like why is it that they haven't been able to put together you know one of these runs that keeps everybody buzzed about them
3: you know they at this point they've only proven themselves to be a regular season team you know what I mean and, and I think until they prove you know that they can they can get over that first round hump before they can take that next step I think that's just how you're going to view them. You're just not going to view them as legit until that happens. But yeah, this team has been an incredible regular season team. You know, this iteration of the team with Dame, you know, leading the way. And uh, dynamic scoring, obviously, with Dame and CJ and Nurgich to the mix. I think what's different this year, though, I will say, is this team's depth right now. It's, It's as deep a Blazers team as I've seen, you know, in four or five years. With the additions of Rodney Hood and Ennis Cantor at the deadline.
1: Really added, added some new
3: pieces to this team.
1: Hmm. I did an interview with uh, John Canzano on the radio out there, which I did not know was going to turn into some story, like some big thing. I was, we just, <laughs> he was asking me about you know, the Blazers, what I thought, what it looked like from afar. They did basically exactly what I, I thought that needed to be done at the deadline. And I don't know if they got a ton of credit for it, but getting Canner and Hood just changed them, changed their DNA a little bit to me. In terms of giving them two more options, uh, dynamic guy, you know, scoring options potentially, and guys with size. Was there something about them that you think the front office folks or the, the coaching staff recognized need to be tweaked? And and this was something that was more calculated long term, or did it just become a thing? You know, Tanner was available. Hood certainly was was on the trading block. I mean, it was, or was it just convenient timing?
3: I think wing has been an issue for this franchise for a little while. Um, you know, I think Al Aminu is incredibly underrated for what he brings this team uh, defensively. He's our best defensive player. You know, he can guard one through five almost. And sometimes he does. Um, he's really important to what they do defensively, but you know, Mo Harkless, Uh, has been hurt all year, started off with a knee injury coming off when he hurt it late last year, and he hadn't been the same all year. He's so important, you know, to the team and what they do. And I think they were chasing a wing for for kind of security and for depth um, and to maybe light a spark under Mo a little bit too, you know, ever since since they acquired Hood, a little bit before that. But he's really turned his game to the next level, he finally got healthy and and kind of looked more like the Mo Harkless that we've seen, you know, late in the season the last couple of years. But, you know, so from the hood standpoint, I think it was kind of a mix of that to add that depth at a position where you had some kind of questions. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what I think was the catalyst there. And then you look at cancer. I mean, the Blazers tried to sign Ennis four years ago, you know, when he, they signed him to an offer sheet and then he he stayed with Oklahoma city. They've always been enamored with his scoring and for him to be available for him to have that relationship with them from that, I think really helped there. And so he really, I mean, the combination of him and Yusuf Nurkic, the, those beasts that you can throw at teams all game, you know, they stagger them, obviously they don't play them together. Um, and so to, to throw Yusuf at a team down low, and then to throw Ennis when he's not on the court, um, you know, gives you depth for obviously protection when when Nurgich gets in foul trouble. But it just brings that down, that dimension. Not a lot of teams have that interior scoring off the bench.
2: Yeah, I, I hate to spoil this discussion, but um, <laughs> please do. Let's, let's in, my, in my story in my story today, looking at like the additions, I, I looked into Hood and and Cantor, and actually the, the Blazers have not been very good with with those guys on the floor. Um, in fact, Cantor, I think has a a, a negative plus minus an eight in all but one of his games so far with the Blazers. Um, well, doesn't
1: the? I mean, he's not, his numbers are never good. I'm just saying the impact <laughs> of having a guy. Yeah, and
2: know. and he did. I mean, I, I was at his first game with the Blazers. I think it was in Brooklyn, uh, the start of the their post game road trip, and he killed the net
3: side. He had eight,
2: eighteen and nine. Yeah yeah him and he had two huge games in his first two games with the Blazers in Brooklyn and in Philadelphia and and Hood had a huge game uh in Charlotte I believe on that same trip um where he had like 27 in the second half but in general overall they haven't been great with those two guys on the floor but you know the playoffs will ultimately determine you know the the winners or losers at the in these in these sort of late season or these deadline moves but like my question is like do you think they are more prepared to deal with defenses focusing on Damian Lillard come playoff time.
3: Oh, for sure. In last year. Yeah. I, I think they are, uh, you know, and a lot of that rides on, on CJ and his, you know, whether or not he's hitting shot. I mean, we saw that two nights ago in, in Los Angeles or was that last night? No, that was two nights ago. I'm I'm sorry. I'm on a trip, man. I don't know where I am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We saw that two nights ago, you know, uh, CJ went bananas in the fourth quarter and in that went over the Clippers. And him, when he's hitting shots like that, that alleviates a lot of that. And, you know, I think a lot of it's on on Yusuf Nurkic as well. Uh Jake Lehman has played a lot in the Blazers closing lineup. You know, he's been a real development for them. And so he's someone that maybe could ease, cause he's really good at cutting to the basket kind of getting them easy buckets he's someone who maybe could lighten that load a little bit but I mean that's that's the mo on this team right that's how you stop this team you shut down Damian Lillard you you shut them down we saw that last year in the playoffs and so that I mean John that is the biggest question with this team are they prepared for that are they prepared for the playoffs there's kind of this undercurrent I think with them that the regular season you know it's important but this team knows that it's it's going to be defined by the postseason now. That's where they're at, you know, with this, with this nucleus.
2: No, the other thing we've had um, over the last couple of months, we've probably discussed leadership a little too much, but the one guy that we've brought up um, when we've talked about that is Lillard. Mm-hmm. And I think when you talk to people inside the Blazers, they are pretty effusive in their praise for his leadership ability. And it seems like he is a guy that, naturally other dudes in that locker room just want to follow and we've talked about you know also you know great players wanting to leave where they are on being unhappy with where they are what's what's the sort of current status with with Lillard one as a leader on in that franchise and two continuing to want to be the sort of foundation for that franchise going forward
3: well first of all Jamie Lillard is, is the best leader I've I've this is my 12th season covering the Blazers he's the definitely the best leader they've ever had in my time. And, and, you know, you could argue one of the best in the, in the league right now from every aspect. I mean, he's never left a a game without talking to us and standing up, win or lose. I mean, he delivers in key moments, but it's how he carries himself behind the scenes, the way he treats people in the organization. It's, it's just, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. Um, You know, the, the, he treats CJ 15th guy on the list uh, on the roster, exactly the same, all those kind of cliches, except for they're true in this case. But he has said repeatedly over the years that, while other guys are kind of shaping where they want to go. And, and you know, you see what Anthony Davis has, has done in New Orleans, for example. And I mean, we've all seen LeBron hold the league hostage with his decisions in the offseason. Dame's just cut from a different cloth. Loyalty is so important to him, just the way he was raised. As the kid who, who obviously grew up in inner city Oakland, I think that shapes you differently uh, than most places. And then he went to a small school, you know, Weaver State. And at the last second, he had other offers to go to different schools, but Weaver State was a first one to offer him. He felt loyal. He, he wanted to stick with it. And that's just the kind of guy he is. So, you know, there's a sense of love for him in the city, but he has a sense of loyalty to that city too. And, you know, he thinks about what his decision means for other players. He's talked about this as well. Like, you know, if I leave here, it might affect this other guy and this, and then he might get traded and, um, or leave and not be in as good a situation is kind of how he likes to frame it. So I think that's part of it too. But, you know, I mean, when you think about the Blazers, you think about Damian Lillard, don't you?
1: Yeah, there's no question. Um, no question about that. Joe, how long before, and, and I know there have been frustrations with this in the past, obviously last year getting swept out of the playoffs. You hear this sentiment that, well, they've gone as far as they can go with this group. And we, and we hear that time and again about certain teams, if they're going to reconstitute at some point, Dame and CJ, to me, have to be the foundation of that. Is there a sentiment out there at all that there has to be a larger DNA tweak if they're going to reconstitute this team, like that it has to involve moving one of those guys? And I, I know that sounds crazy with with, you, with the affection people have for Dame out there, but if you're going to really go for it, if you're the, the Blazers at some point here in the near future in, in a Western conference that's kind of reshuffling itself, at some point do you have to at least consider maybe that, that Dame and somebody else works better than Dame and CJ in Portland?
3: Yeah, I mean it, that's the that's the biggest you know question facing this franchise is is if if you if you don't make it out of the first round again, how can you justify just bringing it all back? You know, there's the the faction that they play an entertaining brand of basketball, they're fun to watch, the place is sold out, fans are obviously passionate, in the league, but. You know, at what point do does that group decide? You know, I, I want some playoff success, and and that's there's also a, a contingent that's like, hey, th- there's no way you can run this back like this if, if you don't succeed in the playoffs, and and I think that is where that that comes from, Seiko, and that's that you've heard that more bubble this year than than in in previous years. You know, every now and then you kind of hear it nationally a little bit from someone throwing out crazy trade rumors or or whatever crazy you know but after we've seen it it's kind of you reach a point where you've seen what this this group can do and what do you do to change it and that's where you start i mean it's it's what everybody says you got to get rid of cj in that scenario um i've always said that if you put the right pieces around them they can succeed um but you again it's you just can't keep doing the same the same thing over and over again if it's not working so
1: i hate the idea by the way i, I love them together I, I, I think there's value in having the kind of chemistry those two guys have mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the other part about it that mystifies me and shoe i don't know i don't know how many times you've been to games in portland shoe it's like one of the best nba cities you could go to i mean the fans are outstanding the culture you know the basketball culture out there is is great <laughs> I don't get why they have such a hard time attracting free agents or being an attractive destination for free agents. It's not like every player in the league who wears Nike or Adidas hasn't been to Portland anyway and doesn't spend some kind of time in Portland. They know it's a great place. What do you think is the disconnect when it comes time to wooing people to come play in Portland?
3: I just think people don't – they don't know. You know, they roll through on other teams – you know what once maybe twice a year for mm. you know two days three days max and so they just don't get it, it's you know it's rain it's probably was overcast and rainy when they <laughs> rolled through and they up a back to back you know so there's just that kind of reputation and tucked away you know so far over on on the left coast like we are yeah so far away from that very important east coast over there um you know you just get you, you kind of get uh you got, it's like we started off. You kind of get forgotten about a little bit over there. So, um, but like you said, I mean, defined by Dame and CJ and Dame they have become as important recruiters for the franchise as anyone. Um, And they have really put themselves out there, you know, in recent off seasons, trying to get guys to come, but you know, it's an organization defined by its culture uh, and, you know, going back to Dame and his leadership, it's a team that's, um, they talk a lot about their culture and the culture of the organization. And so I think once guys get here and, and you, even if they're here for just a couple of years, when you see them after they leave, they're always like, I had, Portland does it right. I, I had a good time and, and I had a good life when I, when I played for them, but yeah, I don't know where that disconnect generally speaking comes from beyond we're just tucked far away.
2: Is is there a uh, playoff matchup that this team fears or wants? Go uh, when you look at the West, standings Joe I mean I know they got swept by the Thunder but all those games were close Yeah
3: no in fact after, yeah after the last game of the Thunder you know they openly said they would love a rematch against the Thunder in the playoffs so 3 of those 4 games were were close in the fourth quarter and the Thunder kind of pulled away late including that that last overtime game um a lot of drama there with with Nurkic and Russell Westbrook and and their kind of beef <laughs> you know what happened last game well last couple games um so I think from a sheer entertainment standpoint, I would like that. But don't you guys think that would be great?
2: Heck yeah.
1: Any day. any Anytime you get Russ and Dame on the same court, I'd take it. It's yeah. certainly a very very possible 4-5 matchup in the yeah. past. And what about – I mean, the other, the other matchup within that matchup that I would love to watch is just to see Nurkic and Steven Adams <laughs> trade bows and blows. I mean, I was telling somebody the other day, Joe, Nurkic to me is the most underrated – space creating big man in the league and I and I thought that I was at the Blazer what is that the Blazers Thunder game a few years ago right when they got their hands on Nerkich, mm-hmm. um in Oklahoma City and he was fantastic just seeing him up close create all that space just by bumping guys setting screens and you don't realize how massive he is until you see him out there causing havoc I mean the, the Thunder were like they could not get their balance, you know, just dealing Mm -hmm. with him. Uh, Mm -hmm.
3: He's a beast, man. Yeah, no, he's, he's a tank and he's skilled. He still misses a few too many uh, close shots for my liking. You know, he's, he's loose around the rim, but he has gotten so much better this year. Kind of a low key. I'm surprised there hasn't been more talk about him being a most, like a most improved player kind of guy. I I think he should be on short list for that award and just what he means to this team and what he means to Damon CJ. It's, it's, it's it's been really important. But yeah, when he's at the man, he when he is playing peak Nurkic, this team is at a different level. And you know, going back to our you know, our talk about, well, he'll be immensely important in the playoffs too. What Nurkic do we see, you know, show up?
1: Right. Interesting. It's going cool. I'm, I'm I'm intrigued by this team though. I, I'm I really I got a good friend Rusty Hampton who's from Salem, Oregon and he's lived away from there for years. But sure. man, you talk about a Blazers fan. He lives in Jackson, Mississippi, Joe. Every time they play in Memphis or New Orleans, he's there. He bought seats in New Orleans just so he could drive down and watch them when the Blazers. <laughs> so I mean that 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 Blazers fan base to me, it, like I said, it's not just in in Portland and Oregon. They got fans everywhere, and it's funny to watch how passionate they are about their team now. And he was growing up; he's probably a teenager when they they won it, you know, with Walton back in the day. So there you go. So yeah, he's got, yeah, he's got a connection to those Blazers, and then he loved loved and hated the you know the jail Blazers. So and now he's riding, you know, and dying every night he he does great recaps on facebook um, about blazers game power. he's he's loving them you know on the nights they win best best win of the year and then he's just yanking his hair out on the nights they lose so
3: see now that that's int- you bring that up so from like cuz you know I'm knee deep in the weeds and you know and he's living <laughs> and dying by every game i wonder <laughs> for you guys like from from that other that national perspective when you see so much I mean, what do you expect out of this team in the playoffs? Where do you think they're they're going to do? Is, is are they going to are they going to make some noise? Or are they going to fizzle? What's your guys' take on that?
2: Yeah, I've said the same thing. I think there's a bunch of teams in the West that could lose in the first round and could get to the conference finals. And mm-hmm. and it's it, just the way it's it is. It's going to be about matchups and who's playing playing well at the right time. Yeah, the Blazers. I mean, they they just ran into the wrong team. I think in the first round last year, now were and I was shocked.
1: That was a shocking uh, series. Yeah, it was.
2: New Orleans was so was playing so well. You know, they really sort of found themselves late in the season after the Cousins injury, and then Holiday is just a terrific two way guard who you know was a tough matchup for Lillard, especially. And so, so this year, any, I mean, who knows? Um, you know what's going to happen. I would love a Portland Oklahoma City series, and then. Um, but if you're in the four or five, that obviously means that you're running into the Warriors uh, in the second round. So that's yeah. the that's that's the issue. Uh, if you can squeeze up to three, then you're in uh, then you're in in much better shape.
1: Yeah, I felt like last year they were in a perfect position and they got swept, and it was just, it it completely wiped my you know whatever positive impressions I had of them as a team. Yeah, it was um, stunning. I know how good. Dame and is CJR is the, is the thing. I mean, I, I recognize where they fit in the overall landscape of the league in terms of you look at backcourts, you look at guys who are big time shot makers and all that. I felt like their biggest issue has been whoever that third and fourth pieces are, mm-hmm. and I just feel like you know, Al Farouk to me, as much as I love him, I watched him when he was in high school here in in Atlanta, and I watched him with the national team. You know, um, what I think at the world. World Cup was the last time I saw him playing with you know, with the international team. He's he's such a better player to me when he's not asked to be the third guy. So Nurkic, to me, is as you mentioned, is the key. Like, he's got to be a consistent producer and performer in the playoffs. Like, they got to be able to count on him for a sizable double-double every night in a playoff series in order to unlock kind of what Rodney Hood and Al Farouk and some of those other pieces can bring. Because I was telling somebody last night. The reason to me the Warriors have been able to go galactic in the playoffs the last few years is not just because of their first two or three stars. It's been because those guys unlocked the door for those, for their fifth, sixth, and seventh guys mm-hmm. to play at a higher level in the playoffs. And until Portland finds a way to make sure that Dame and CJ have somebody else in that third spot, then, you know, in the three of them, can create a higher plane for everybody else, they're going to be stuck in that space where they can't go to another level. So I'm, I'm hoping Nurkic is the guy that does it for him. So we at least see, you know, last year, even if you don't get swept by the Pelicans, say you go seven games and lose to the Pelicans in a compelling series, that colors the off season in an entirely different way to me. It's all about how you lose in the playoffs, not just if you win or lose, but how you do it. And they've got to, they gotta go down swinging.
3: Lasers have lost ten straight playoff games.
1: Yeah, that's, that's mind-boggling. Yeah, for, you know, for, for guys that talented.
3: Yeah, and that's what's gonna define this. You know, what what are they gonna do in the playoffs? That's what's gonna define this group coming up. No you think question. about it,
2: like have, just that. It's kind of a miracle that they ran it back, and I'm glad they did. You know, I think there's potential for improvement just with you know with Layman getting better, with Nurkic getting better, with. Yeah with the additions that they made at the deadline, as much as I poo-pooed those uh, a little while ago. <laughs> because you know what, you know, Lillard, I think in the playoffs, Lillard or McCollum's going to be on the floor at all times. Lillard's going to average 40 minutes. And so those minutes where, you know, they've struggled when both got, both those guys have sit, have sat, isn't, aren't going to be as critical in the postseason as they have been in the, or as you know, as they are in the regular season. So if you've got Lillard playing 40, 41 minutes a game in the postseason, that's a good place to start.
1: Yeah. Joe, we always do trivia on Thursdays here on the podcast. Schumann tries to make me look bad, so therefore I have to lean on our guests to make sure he doesn't.
3: So you want me to look bad instead is what
1: you're saying? No, no. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is where you get to show off your trivia chops dealing with this guy. So, Shu, what kind of trivia do you have for us this week? All right,
2: this one's fairly simple.
1: Yeah, you say that all the time.
2: All right, so according to Synergy play-type tracking, Damian Lillard ranks fifth in the league with 10.6 uh, pick-and-roll ball-handler possessions per game. Now, that means that those are 10.6 possessions per game where he goes off as a, uh, a ball-handler going off a pick-and-roll and ends and, and shoots or turns the ball over or gets to the free-throw line. So there are four other guys who have averaged uh, at least 10 of those possessions per game. See if you can uh, name the other four. Oh my goodness, Harden! Repeat that again. So pick and roll, pick and roll, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, high usage on pick and rolls. Basically, they right. shoot or turn the ball over or gets the line off of uh, Harden is not one of them. Actually, Harden is really? uh, Mr. he Mr. doesn't do any pick and roll. He's just Mister Isolation. Yeah, you know, yeah, he gets yeah, the screen, true. gets the screen, and then takes it back. And so he gets, he is, he basically has like uh, three times as many isolation possessions as any other player in the league. Uh, is Russ on the list?
1: No. He's no, not.
2: Russ. Hmm.
1: Another gunner. Oh, did I say that out loud? My bad. <laughs> <laughs> is, CJ,
2: is CJ on the list? No, he is not. Mm. It's tough. All right. That makes it tougher than I thought. Uh um, yeah, it is. Exactly. I say there are two in the Eastern Conference. Both were all-stars. All-star point guards in the Eastern Conference. Kimba Walker. Kimba, Kimba Walker, yeah. yes. He's number one with 11.7 uh, per game. Uh-huh. And... Kyle Lowry. Nope. Mm. D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Russell. Yes, number four with ten point eight. Okay. All right. So then the other three guys, or the other two guys, are in the Western Conference. Neither was an All Star, mm. but are on both on Western Conference playoff teams.
1: Man, They're not All Stars. Jamal Murray. Nope. Oh damn! I was trying to be clever with that one.
2: Oh,
3: no. who are you? I'm spacing on we were just talking about a Pelicans point guard that dominated the Blazers last year. Oh Drew No, Holliday.
2: Holliday? no Holliday. he's down the list. He's yeah, he's around twelfth or so. So nope. All, all right. right. One is not, uh not an all star. Northwest division point guard in the Western uh Western Conference. Can't be Rubio. Nope. Right team. Donovan uh, Mitchell Donovan Mitchell. Second, yeah. yes, eleven point three. And then the last one is uh Who's he running his pick and rolls with though? Rudy, Rudy? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the last one is a bench player, only bench player in the top. Wow,
1: uh, Lou Williams can't be Lou Williams, it's it's gotta be Lou. He's out there, He's out there running that all, all fourth quarter long. Yeah, Yeah. so these are guys that, yeah, come off a lot of
2: pick and rolls and then obviously shoot or, or turn the ball. So, like, Curry. the 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 Warriors just don't run a lot of pick and roll they you know most of their stuff is off ball screens and everything Mm. so
3: I would have never never in a million years guessed those dudes
1: (laughs) no I told you the shoes trivia is Joe seriously I like I like this guy next level but he's twisted yeah he's got issues I, I, I don't know what goes on with him when I'm not around him but I'm nervous Yeah.
3: Um, Well, and if that's, if that was supposed to be an easy one, what is a tough one like? Like, come
1: on. I'm just glad he wasn't grading papers when I was in college. I'd still be in school. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, Joe, we appreciate it, man. We'll, uh, we'll do our best to stop ignoring, uh, the Pacific Northwest and, and see if we can Speak for
2: yourself, man. I wrote like 1500 (laughs) words on the Blazers like (laughs) one week ago.
1: (laughs) Yeah. He's got you there, man. (laughs) <laughs> I know we'll we'll keep beating the drum, man. We and we appreciate your coverage and your time, man. Always good to have a chat with you. Hopefully, we'll see you in an arena somewhere come playoff time.
3: Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Yep, it's good talking with you guys, man. Take it easy. Thanks,
1: man. Yep, appreciate it. Shoe, sure, you do realize your trivia is over the top. I mean, you always trying to say this is an easy one.
2: Yeah, uh, easy. Where you simple high usage ball handlers? Come
1: on, it's it's not that. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, don't be such dunces. Um, shoot, I don't know if you saw that, uh, and, and we're winding down the clock on the perfect player on NBA TV. Last week, LeBron was selected p- for best vision, and and now we've got yet another category. Uh, this week, it's best body and size with, surprise, surprise, LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Anthony Davis as our three candidates. I don't
2: have to think about this one very much.
1: Well, let me go ahead and run down where where we are in the other categories. Last week, as I said, it was best vision for LeBron. He's also won most athletic and best basketball IQ. Steph Curry's the best jump shot. Kyrie's the best handles. Kawhi Leonard, the best defender. This is our second to last category. Best body and size. And you can vote on NBA TV's Twitter account until noon Eastern on Friday. I'm going to go ahead and throw you a bone and assume you're going to pick the guy that I think you are.
2: You want know, take a guess? Who do, you, who do you think I think is? I don't know. I picked Giannis. Me too. All right, that's it.
1: Okay, yeah, I picked Giannis. I, Smitty and I both picked Giannis on game time. I just, and this was my reasoning, shoe. And, and I'm And I'm probably being biased against LeBron because he's 34 now instead of 26. You know, because he would have been an easy pick at that age. When he was in Miami, I thought he was as good a physical specimen at the peak of his career as you could be. Just in terms of the speed, quickness, leaping ability, you know, ability to cover ground, you know, uh, the chase down block, everything. He was physically, you couldn't have built a better basketball player in my mind at that time. And then I woke up, you know, this season, and here's Giannis looking like uh, an Avenger in a basketball uniform. And this dude can do, I mean, has a guy ever gone from, I remember interviewing him his rookie year. He was so skinny. Charles Barkley playfully punched him in the chest, in a in a little green room at the studio down at, at Techwood. And I thought he killed him. I mean, he was soaked <laughs> in, he was so skinny and Charles was like, man, you got to put some meat on these bones. And then you see him now, you know, we see him in Charlotte at all-star and he's yoked up with, you know, shoulders and, He's got like Dwight Howard upper body. So, I, I, you know, I just feel like when you put together the package of the frame at 6'11", seven feet, whatever he's listed at, and then what the the growth potential that's still there, he, you know, his legs aren't, you know, his lower body strength is not even close to what it's probably going to be in the next couple of years. So I went with Giannis. I, I think AD is a little more awkward. He spends a lot more time nursing his body than he does showing it off. So I was kind of surprised he made this, <laughs> this list. What? Just <laughs> you know, I was surprised he made the list, to be honest with you.
2: Yeah, I know. There's another name I would put on there, uh, and that's Embiid. I think Embiid is one of those people where you see him in person, and you're like, holy cow. Holy oh, good, yeah. But exactly. Giannis was the same thing. Like, I, 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 there was a point last year during the playoffs. I don't know if I had seen the Bucs during the season. And then. In the first round, I covered a few games in Philadelphia, and I covered a few games in Washington. Mm -hmm. And then those two series were done, so I went up to Boston for game seven of Bucks celtics And I walked out onto the court, and he was out there shooting. And I I just sort of walked by him. I did one of my low-angle Instagram (laughs) pictures. But at the same time, I just like, holy cow, this guy is huge. You know, like, he is enormous. Like, yeah in both length and then, you know, his, like you said, his build, like he's just gotten so much stronger.
1: Yeah. You remember in New Orleans when we had our setup down there and he came in and we interviewed him, he sat at the table with Lang and I? Do you remember, I don't know if you remember that. I don't think I was in the room at the time. He looks even bigger in – like when he's went like some guys look smaller in street clothes for some reason. Mm-hmm. If you think he looks big on a basketball court, Embiid wearing size whatever he wears clothes, he looks even more – Preposterously humongous in street clothes. Yeah, right. I mean it's it's frightening how big he looks walking down the street in New Orleans. Yeah,
2: I, I mean yeah. So I, I was talking about Giannis on the court, like, and, mm. and so, but but those those two guys are like, there are only a few players that you you come across for the first time in person, and you're just. Mm-hmm. Taken aback by their size, Shaq was like the first one for me. Still does it for me every time I see him. Yao Ming was one for me, mm-hmm. just uh, just just huge. And then of current play. I mean, LeBron is is I mean, yes. When you take the whole thing into you know the size and and um, strength, Durant is another one. Just at how how long he is and how skilled he is with that with that length. Yeah. And then, but Anthony and Embiid
1: are are two just complete physical specimens. Right. So, so Giannis would be your pick, though, for perfect player. Yeah, I think so. Okay, good. Well, I feel, I feel good. Interesting. You can vote until noon Eastern on Friday on NBA TV's Twitter account. Check it out. Perfect player. Big game matchup Saturday night in Oklahoma City shoe. Warriors Thunder. I don't know. Has, has KD been ruled in or out? I don't know if he's playing or not. I don't think we have any word on a Saturday. Yeah, no word yet, but it'll be interesting. Check NBA.com for updates leading up to that game Saturday night. certainly check social media now that it's back work. You okay, by the way? I know social media was down. I know you're a Twitter guy, but there was a lot of belly aching last night about, I guess, Instagram was out. Facebook, too. Yeah, I survived. Um, Yeah, I'm not on it enough for it to affect my life the way it did some other people. I mean, I saw people going literally losing their mind.
2: Fun game on Sunday, too. Sixers-Bucks. Uh, yes. Those two teams haven't
1: played since October, way before the Jimmy Butler and and Tobias Harris trades. That's right. So, yeah, we got plenty to watch this weekend as the races continue to shift, you know, for, for playoff position in the East and West. So make sure you check it out. We'll be back on Monday uh, with another episode. Checking out the NBA.com power rankings that John does every week. You can chew on the Kia Race to the MVP ladder. Over the weekend, it drops Friday on NBA.com. I won't give any, you know, sneak peeks about who's going to be where, but it, it'll be the usual suspects in some shuffled order. Be sure to subscribe to Hangtime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts for new episodes all season long. Big shout-out to Joe Freeman of the Oregonian for joining us. Seku Smith here in Atlanta, John Schumann in New Jersey, John Hartzell pulling the strings. We appreciate you joining us, and we'll see you right here next time on the Hangtime Podcast.